Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 334, Dice Tower Awards 2021. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers, but especially our brand new Patreon backer, Robert Bowen. Thanks so much, man. You rock. All right, everybody, we are back, and we have chosen this timeline to join you with a brand new episode, <laughs> and in particular, the episode where the Dice Tower Awards were awarded and highlighted some great, great games out there. So, Anthony, you and I actually get to participate in this little shindig, right? Yeah, yeah, we've been on the uh, awards committee, as it's called. It's it's a Facebook group uh, for, I don't know, like... <laughs> Seven or eight years. A lot of now. years. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Every year it pops up. I'm like, ooh, I forgot we have responsibility. This is fun. we do a thing. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it starts like way back in January, February, where we like submit things for nominations, and then everybody argues sure. over whether a game came out last year or the year before. <laughs> that's and pretty much it. List. Yeah, and that that's most of it, honestly. And there's a list of nominations that we run through to narrow it down a little bit to the nominations you see now on the website, and then finally we get to vote. So, uh. We voted on these awards. We can tell you what we voted for when we talk about mm -hmm. it. Uh, not everything we voted for won, but there's a lot of good games here, so it'll be a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing better to talk about than board games, and especially board games that are awarded because they're awesome. 
And again, <laughs> Good you know, due to the pandemic and everything else that's going on out there, you might have missed some of these great games. So um, this is going to be a good list for all of you to take a, you know, pay attention to because you might want to get those games to the table when you eventually do hopefully get to the table or hopefully get to the table safely. So, Anthony, obviously a lot of good stuff that's going on. Uh, before we jump into all the board game cardboard fun out there, obviously there's a little bit of a Marvel action happening out there. And since it's IP related and board game related, at least as far as we would like to stretch it, uh, you saw the uh, ending of Loki. No spoilers. We're not spoiling anything, but what'd you think about Loki? So, yes, I did. And I like there it a you lot. go. I don't know if I can say anymore, though. That whole episode is just one big spoiler, right? There's not sure. much you can say about the last episode of that show without just, I don't know, like even just saying that, it feels like a spoiler. <laughs> I don't know where people's <laughs> threshold is. Um, but I thought it was interesting. It, it capped it off interestingly. Uh, it makes me more excited for some of the stuff coming out in the next year or two that's sure. been announced. And I don't know that I can say any more than that because. Ooh. Everything else is, yeah, related to the plot and, uh, you know, kind of future developments. Yeah, I think if you've been following through and if especially you've, even if you just watched the trailer, I think you have a very good idea of the finale and even the series as a whole. It's kind of all out there. It's wild. It's basically mischief and mayhem throughout. And it's some really great acting performances in this series. And I've really, I really yeah. enjoyed that. I mean, Tom Hiddleston as Loki has been fantastic. Owen Wilson, obviously, in that series has been great as well. And I just, I would just love this whole series just to be them two chatting away or backstabbing or kind of figuring, trying to figure each other out. So, um, you know, it's been some surprises, some twists, and as, as you said, some info dumps and things like that. Uh, no spoilers. I liked it a lot. I thought it was a good series. I did think the last episode again without spoiling anything was just like oh okay but again yeah. <laughs> we're 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 kind of like working our way through these series like wandavision came out and we have all these expectations that's going to be this kind of thing and it's going to have these kind of people and then we watched it and we're like oh this is very good now we know what marvel's doing because we expected like other avengers to pop up or you know bigger plot lines or other alternate universes and we got what we got and then winter soldier came out and captain america and that was okay like i think again we knew what we got going into that as well uh but this for me i think this is probably my favorite of the three wandavision very close to it and maybe even wandavision first because of the last episode but I'll leave that for people's imagination so they could watch the episodes themselves. But really what I'm excited about and what I've always been excited about, even before these, these ones came out was the what if series of oh, uh, yeah. Marvel shorts. That's really been the one I'm really interested in because I always love those comic books where they're like, Hey, what if this thing happened or this person got this power instead of that person? And I was like, Oh, that's really a cool idea. And it seems like from the trailer that's out there right now, they really went for it. They really went for a lot of like the very, very different what ifs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the trailer looks really cool. The stories look amazing. I love the what if stuff. Like yes. what if Spider-Man was the Punisher or what if like this, <laughs> like those things are so cool. Right. Yeah. Um, and then occasionally like a what if style story becomes an actual comic line. Like what if Gwen Stacy was Deadpool or like done. Now yes. she is. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> like, cool. Uh, but I don't know. Like, 
I don't know that the artwork sold me. I, I don't know what it, like that rotoscopy sure. style 2D, 3D thing they're doing. I don't know if I love that. I, maybe I'll grow yeah. up. There's been some weird animation styles just in general in animation in the last sure. three years. And the, if the story is good enough, I don't care. But we'll see. Because that, that trailer did, I was like, oh, I don't know if I like yeah. this. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they spent real kind of like anime money on this. They just like, no. hey, let's make this look kind of like a comic book from back in the day. And mm, but I like the ideas. I like the ideas that there's going to be different stuff out there. And uh, yeah. obviously, the first big Marvel movie hit back out again, uh, Black Widow. You did get a chance to see that? Yeah, it was a weird week. So yeah, on Friday mm-hmm. night, uh, I sat down with the kids. We paid the $30 to Disney Plus and we watched Black Widow. And I'm glad that the kids are old enough to watch it now. So I didn't feel silly <laughs> spending $30 to watch a movie by myself <laughs> while my wife sleeps next to me. Um, <laughs> so we watched it. And it's funny. We were talking about this before the show, but it felt like a movie that could have been released five years ago, like sure. right after Civil War. Like it feels like the Winter Soldier. Like, just the way it's structured, the way the characters do, even the plot to some degree. Um, it feels like that, this kind of self-contained thing within the larger universe. Mm-hmm. But it does it in a way that I think works, where you're not constantly wondering, where's Captain America? Where's Iron Man? Why aren't they involved sure. in any of this? Like, it makes sense that they're not. And, like, it works. The story works. It's his. It's her story. And it, it, it kind of fleshes out. Um, there's some issues along the way. I mean, it's not perfect, but... In terms of like an, a solo movie, like an introductory type of solo movie, if this had been released a long time ago, before everything we know about Black Widow happened to her, I think it would have been one of the better ones. I still think it is. I just, the problem being is just the context of when it was released. Like you watch it now and you're like, what's the point of this other than to do it? You know, like it doesn't, I don't know. It just feels like this like, you know, like bottle episode, it's like a bottle movie. You know, it's just sure. a little thing. Doesn't impact literally anything else because it can't because it's a prequel. And it's fine, you know, and but it's fun. It was fun. We had fun watching it. I wonder if in the future, Marvel kind of like recommends or readjusts their timeline and sticks this back where it's mm. like time appropriate. So like for future audiences that they won't be watching a movie, which is, I never really liked this about prequels. It's like, you know, when this character dies, so you're watching the whole movie and you're like, meh, there's not really a, there's no level of danger, even, even for superhero movies where no one really dies, but you're like, you know, everyone's kind of bulletproof and and vulnerable and they bounce off every wall and hit every floor. And you're like, no, you're going to be fine. And they just get up and walk away. You're like, all right, all right. (laughs) I guess that's a thing. And, (laughs) They dust themselves yeah. off and they look perfect. And they're like, hey, and you're like, all right. Yeah. Okay. It's just, that's, that's, I would have liked to see, like, it was, it was your standard Marvel movie. Like if you like yeah. the mainline Marvel movies without any kind of wacky craziness, I thought there was some really good acting performances in the, in the movie. And I thought there was some really good actors in the movie as well. And I thought when they had time to talk, I, I really liked that. And I like the beginning too. I like the beginning of the movie really a lot. What I again, I think where it fell apart was the action scenes were kind of like just kind of jammed in there in some in some sense. And again, it's that mainline Marvel movie. If you're you're fine with that, I, I guess you're fine. But it did again for me. Just it didn't really fit because again, we knew her future and the movie itself 
I guess, like you said, would have been more impactful if it was in the regular timeline. But I would have liked a real assassin movie or a real spy thriller. Yes. And, you know, something a little harder considering the fact that she's actually a very good actress. And I think she could have, ha- you know, carried a heavier plot. And it was funny. I, I, like you said, there was some really enjoyable, you know, things going on there. But she was almost not the star of this movie. Like, I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's 100% that. Like, Florence Pugh ended up being the star of the movie. Like, it's her story almost, right? Yeah. Because we already know what happens to Black Widow. But then sure. her sister, or sister, quote unquote. Um, yeah. It's her story. Like, that's the person you get to learn about. And she was awesome. I, I love that character. I'm glad she, hopefully she comes back, you know? Yeah. And I even like the, the um, I guess, for lack of a better term, the adopted mom and dad. Um, oh yeah obviously top top line yeah yeah, top line actors and really good performances and again i wanted to spend more time with them so you could have literally taken out all of the action scenes especially the big ones at the end and just give me a more of a like a mission impossible james bond kind of situation but uh yeah check it out um yeah i guess we're we're kicking things off so eventually we'll start getting the the big movies back into theaters again two months all right everyone so Let's go on to what's going on with the board game universe, especially what's going on with our listeners. Anthony, my friend, what is our question of the week? All right. I teased this last week. Um, I asked everybody what board game sequel they would like to see announced next because we were talking about Machi Koro 2 and Burgle Brothers 2 and Welcome to the Moon. So what other sequels would you like to see? So we got a few Mm -hmm. answers here, which are pretty good. Uh, George says... Knows it a long shot, but one more Mice and Mystics to close out the story. Ooh. Uh, and then a bonus points if it has a mini expansion to Tail Feathers. I have not finished Mice and Mystics, what's available, but I'm 100% on board with this because I know the story kind of ends on a, not a cliffhanger, but it doesn't really end end. I would sure. love to get like the end of that trilogy, right? And all the rights passing back and forth between those companies and now Plaid Hat being independent again. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but I would love it. You know, my kids are primed for this and we've gone through it a little bit lately and it's packed up now. Obviously you can see the boxes behind me if you're watching this on YouTube, but <laughs> it's, it, it, it's coming back out when we get to Philadelphia. Cause uh, it's been, it's become a favorite. All right. Uh, John says he'd love to see something in the anachrony universe, kind of building on okay. that lore that they built out. Honestly, I would say anything in any Mind Clash game because all oh, yeah. those games have a ton of universe around them. Even Tracarion, we're like, you're a magician, but there's like all this weird lore that goes into it when you start looking at the yeah. cards and reading about the characters. More of that. Do more. <laughs> um, and then David, good friend of the show, says uh, the next trilogy in the Shem Phillips games. So uh, he mentions we have a North, uh, the North Sea, we have the Western Kingdoms, and now he'd like to go South. So what would we get in the South? Uh, more worker placement is what I would guess in the South, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I would, I would be interested in to see that as well. Um, personally, I don't know what I would like to see in terms of sequels. It's, it's a weird thing where like, I think I want them and then I don't really play them. Like Marco Polo two. I was so over the moon about that game. I even like it more than the first game and I still don't really play it. Wow. Maybe like okay. a Russian railroads two, where you like compound everything. And make it like a single game where all the all the mechanics are together in one thing. It's been revised, something like that, like a game that's been made better by the expansions, and then they kind of rework it with all that stuff built in to start. 
Yeah, I think, like, as you said, the Mind Clash games are a given because their artwork and their lore is kind of touched upon, but any of those games could certainly get a second updated, revised story mode, legacy mode, multiplayer, solo kind of version of that. I guess the same thing goes for Stegmire games. If we took a look at Scythe, for example, mm. I love Fenris. Fenris is one of my favorite expansions. It just makes the game fundamentally better in every way, shape, and form. But the narratives were incredibly lacking. And mm. just and the ending was incredibly just generic and disappointing. So I was just like, I really love this universe and I've invested in this universe. I would love to see a second version of the game that may be like hundred years in the future where is the technology now where are the mechs now you know what's the landscape look like and let's let's play it again but let's play it a little sharper and a little tighter maybe they could they could have done something like that so yeah I, I think that there's a lot of potential here there's a lot of ways to look at a board game and say like let's add an expansion or let's add a second edition or let's add a revision or let's add a legacy but certainly 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 a sequel obviously would be fantastic or you know, uh, like a Marvel Cinematic Universe, like we talked about, uh, yeah, le- yeah. you know, last week about those games that have like things that connect together and connect together and connect together. I love that. All right, everyone, if you'd like to join us on our question of the week, it's each and every day we, we're talking about the newest and best in board games. So join us on Facebook and Twitter and, of course, on YouTube. So if you're not listening to us on your podcast player, you might actually be watching us on YouTube at the moment. So like and subscribe because the more that we get people on board with board gaming, the more people that are joining you at the table. All right, Anthony. So let's get into the stuff that we would love to talk about. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders this week. All right. So about twice a year, uh, we get a game on Kickstarter that I'm excited about. <laughs> and Chris rolls his eyes at, and uh, well, at least twice time. a year. <laughs> it's, well, <laughs> multiple times a year. We had we yes. had Isle of Cats kittens, you know, like a month ago, oh. um, <laughs> which I backed See? the heck out of. Backed oh, no. the heck out of. Once my house closed, I was like, "Yeah, kittens, <laughs> like I'm doing it." Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this week, I'm going to talk about an 18xx game, uh, 1947, <gasps> the decline of I'm an sorry. empire, the birth of a nation. Yes, yes. I'm sorry, I fell asleep there for a minute. Go ahead. Oh, uh, come on now. You haven't even played one. You don't even know. So. <laughs> This is on Kickstarter now from Aleph Game Studio. This is a, they've only made one, to my knowledge, to date. It's 1883, which I own. Um, and that one's, it takes place in Italy. And the difference in that game, because every 18xx game is based on 1829, 1830, the original 18xx games, but with like some tweaks to the rules, right? So it's like, it's this weird thing. Imagine if Pandemic existed and then... 100 designers decided let's make our own versions of pandemic and just change like four rules right and then there's this huge subculture of people obsessed with it that's what 18xx is kind of like uh and and so we have 1947 is the next version in that um from aleph game studio and it's similar to 1883 which adds event cards and a bunch of weird rule tweaks that are not typically in this type of game we have several adjustments to the way the game is normally played right these games are known for being purely economic right it's all math it's all stuff you can look at and see in front of you and the variability comes in how the players interact with one another but it's so math heavy and so like economic that like maybe 70 percent of the way through the game you can see who's going to win 
And some people don't even finish the game because of that. Like some of these pure, pure 18xx games are like, we know who's going to win. Let's just math it out and be done, right? So games like this always excite me because they tweak that a little bit. They add new things. And so 1947, which takes place in India, adds a few things, right? So you have different types of shares for the for the start. You know, typically in these games, you have two types of shares. You have like the president's share and then a normal share. So like a 20 or 30% share and then a 10% share and that's it. Um, now you have like saving shares, convertible bonds. Uh, you can also go over the typical limits. Like there's a limit to how many certificates you can have. There's a limit to how many types or how many shares in one company you can have. You can break those rules in certain circumstances. There's a lot of differences to the private companies as well. They tweaked this a lot. So you have things like the longer you hold on to a company. And so like private companies are things you draft at the beginning of the game and pay for, and they give you some kind of benefit. Typically you sell it to the company at some point, like you are the player, you own the private company, you sell it to the company that you run. So you get more money for yourself, the player who can win the game. But now like the longer you hold it, the more it's worth. Or you can remove certain companies at the beginning of the game. Or there's like special private companies like insider trading that like give you special abilities that you can use throughout the game. Uh, there are workers now available that you can earn that let you break the rules in certain points. So you can get through blocked stations or place extra stations on your turn or place a second tile on your turn or convert them into stockbrokers, uh, which allow you to move your stock token additional spaces on the stock market. So like legitimately breaking the rules. This is not stuff you usually see in 18xx games because it makes the people who play these like crazy. <laughs> it breaks their brain. They're like, no, you broke the rules in my heavy math game. Um, but there's a lot of people who also kind of enjoy that kind of stuff. Like it just adds more, I don't know, gamerness, like more modern type of game elements to the, to the genre, right? Um, I'm super excited about this stuff. If you're a huge 18xx fan and you're listening to this, you're probably rolling your eyes at me. <laughs> Someone is like, I don't know the genre as well as a lot of people. Um, I've played maybe five or six of these, maybe a couple times each, but I love it. And I want games that are more accessible, that have more of these gamery elements to them. Um, I don't know that this is any shorter than your typical 18xx. I don't know if it's more accessible in that way, but just mechanically speaking, it has a lot of cool stuff to it. Like the map of India, for example, you have like the dry season, you have the monsoon season, like weather affects the map, like the cost of where you place things, how much money you get from them when they run. All that stuff's really cool. Core mechanics are still the same from what I can see. You know, you're going to buy stocks, you're going to place trains, you're going to run your routes, you're going to go up on the stock market. You're going to, you know, try to mess with each other and merge things. But there's a lot of other stuff kind of mixed in there with the workers and the special stockholder tokens and the stations and all that stuff. So um, I'm keeping my eye on this one. It has 20 days left. They gave like a whopping, I think 30 days almost for this one. It is barely over its goal. Uh, only a couple hundred backers at the moment. So I don't know how many people are watching it, but the, you know, the last couple big 18xx Kickstarters, they did pretty well. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this one jump up a fair bit more. Uh, but it's also not your typical 18xx game. So we'll see how it does. But I am definitely keeping a close eye on it. It is fairly expensive, as these games tend to be. It's uh, over $100, but uh, not insane compared to other games in the genre. So 
That is 1947, The Decline of an Empire, The Birth of a Nation. It is up until August 4th. You have lots and lots of time if you want to check it out. I, I guess the one thing I could say is in a very positive way that it's great that these games are getting the marketing that they never had before because these 18 double X games really just were so far off from, you know, any other board games, any other shelf space, any other convention. And you wouldn't even recognize it unless you knew like what you were looking at, because they're not really that distinct (laughs) in their art style and graphic design. So, you know, it's nice to see that they're out there in the open. And again, we, we've talked about this quite a lot, is that, you know, through Kickstarter, and Kickstarter has, does a lot of really positive things and other things, but it does a lot of positive things and getting exposure for games that normally wouldn't get exposure and giving 18XX games the opportunity to get that kind of um, development and graphic design is fantastic. Even if it's just a step up to like, 1990s euros at least it's much better and much more accessible for a wider audience so yeah yeah, 100 i'm glad to see it and like some of these ones that have come out recently look beautiful some don't yeah but like my copy of 18 chesapeake i love it it's it's a beautiful game and i put that out there with any other game map-based game it's just beautiful to look at and and it's just nice to see that because they used to not be that pretty and that makes it it's like war games in the 80s like you if you didn't want to play a war game you weren't going to because they were not pretty to look at. And they're much, much better now with companies like Phalanx and the rest kind of upgrading yeah. their, their look and feel. And honestly, like our friend Eddie plays a ton of 18 double X games. And when we go to convention and we, we, we go to find him, it's like him and like three other people looking at like a piece of graph paper and just like <laughs> some tokens and some chits. And I'm just like, game? Game, right? Game. This is a game, right? We're... You're not like you're not doing an Excel spreadsheet in like the worst way possible, and and that's from that's from coming from Euro gamers who enjoy those types of games. But this at least would be recognizable. This would draw a crowd. So yeah, that's great. All right. So talking about fantastic graphic design and and obviously what Kickstarter does best is bring those indie games up front, so you get an opportunity to look at something you may not look at. I want to talk about a game that's currently on Kickstarter. Up until Thursday, August 12th, 2021, this is Spire's End Hildegard. It's a solo and cooperative card game adventure. Now, this is the second game in the Spire series. Now, this reminds me most of not choose-your-own-adventure books, but the upgraded version. Like, as you got older back in the day... When I was a kid, like, you'd choose your own adventure books, which were awesome, and basically it was the idea that you would go on an adventure, and you would read through the page, make a decision based upon the page, and then go to that other page. And if you were smart, you held your finger in the page, so in case you had to go back and save yourself. But later on, these books really advanced and really incorporated a lot of D&D elements where you actually had to keep track of your character, and your character would develop, and there was sometimes dice that was involved. Well, Spires and Hildegard allows a one or two player game opportunity in which you are taking Hildegard on her first great adventure to transport this package. Now, it's a very mysterious package, possibly coming from the Spire. And if you played the original game that was also on Kickstarter, it was pretty dark. So there could be some really dark you know, elements of the game. But this game in particular, the way they're talking about this game and they're not giving away any secrets... 
but it's a lighter adventure game, more for family, more for just the fun. But again, some Dungeons and Dragons dark elements kind of come into play here. So basically what you're going to do is you're going to have 400 cards and you're going to have four different sections as, as far as the adventure is concerned. And you, as you play cards, you'll make choices based on that card. When you make the choices on the card, it will tell you exactly where to go in the deck so that you can play the next card in that adventure or see the outcomes. And then you'll roll dice. And by rolling the dice, you'll be able to see if you're successful on some of the encounters. So there will be a lot of adventure material here, but there'll actually be some, you know, targets that you'll have to kind of face down. And, you know, these are the bad guys. These are the adversaries in the game. And the artwork here is gorgeous. It really is the artwork that that stopped me in my tracks. And I was like, it's unique. It's interesting. It's powerful and evocative. And I was like, I might need to back this. I wouldn't normally back this type of game, but I actually might need to back this game. It's a really beautiful game, and it's a very small, simple game. And again, one or two players, if you play a second player, there's a second character that comes into the game. And it's a nice little adventure in a box. Four chapters to this adventure, 400 cards, um, 12 custom dice in the game. And yeah, I mean, if you're looking to back something or to play something solo, and I think this probably plays best as solo, or even as a two-player game, you could pick this up now for a $40 pledge. And that's Spires and Hildegard, a solo and cooperative card game adventure. Check it out. This looks awesome. I, I know, I right? I didn't see this before, but the artwork's beautiful. Yeah, and this is the second one in, in the campaign. So you can even pick up the first one as well and uh, you know build up this adventure. But I love the artwork here, really, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to bookmark this. This is really cool looking. I'll have to like you know, look at the mechanics a little bit more and make sure it's actually got some meat to it. A lot of these like yeah. single player, two player only games are like, roll some dice. Did you win? <laughs> nope. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Very cool. All right. So that's everything that we want at the table. Anthony, let's talk about the games that actually hit the table. And we'll let people know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and they should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and they should avoid them. Or if those games are the dreaded burn and they should burn them at all costs because what else are they good for? Or maybe they should recycle them. We keep saying burn, but maybe they should recycle them because I think that's more environmentally friendly. So, Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? All right. Uh, I'm going to have to take the challenge here because we are recording with Board Game Geek down. It's not working tonight. No. And <laughs> I'm reviewing Coffee Traders, which is a beast of a game. Uh so I'm, I don't have the rules in front of me. I mean, I have the rules, the literal rules in front of me, but I don't have like all the details in front of me. So this is the new game from Capstone. Uh, just shipped like the last few weeks. Uh, it's designed by Andre Spiel and Rolf Siegel. Uh, they did mm-hmm. um, Wildcatters, I believe. So yes, like it was an earlier game from Capstone, which is very, very good, but the rule book was almost impenetrable. It was very difficult to learn. It took me a long time to get that game to the table. And... I was very excited about this one because a couple of reasons. One, it's like this economic Euro game uh, in a unique setting, right? It's mm-hmm. It shows itself as like, oh, it's like farming, etc. But it's farming in the 1970s and 1980s in like coffee cooperatives. So it's not like colonist moves to new country, takes over and has local people grow things for him. <laughs> like it's, you know 
these very these people investors come in and give money to help build out these cooperatives in these different countries and the workers own the plantations that they're they're working on right so like it doesn't have a problematic theme is what i'm trying to say um it's all about like fair trade coffee cooperatives and so that was cool uh, mechanically it seemed very interesting the game is a big sprawling thing it was decently expensive uh and it's in like a long box like if you've seen the oath box recently um kind of in that vein it's a big long box and it takes a long time to play uh two to three hours but not like crazy amount of time considering how much is in the box what's really like most reflective of what's going on in here is just how big and sprawling it is everybody who walked into the room when we were playing this was like whoa it's a lot of game because it took up a full like seven foot long table by like four feet wide it took up the whole thing like the main board is massive the player boards are massive and you'd think that would make the game fiddly but it really doesn't like it it seems like it should be messier and harder to follow than it actually is it's actually fairly straightforward because everything is printed on your player board it all works through these five phases that you run through in the game and at the end of the game you know the scoring makes sense so I'm going to not run through the whole rules because that would take 30, 40 minutes. Because again, <laughs> it's that kind of game. But just kind of give a brief overview of what you're trying to do here. Um, again, five phases in the game. So in the first phase, you are doing basically putting out plantations and then making sure you have workers on the plantations. So there are five different locations on the map. They correspond to different places that have coffee cooperatives. You got Brazil. Guatemala, Indonesia, uh, Ethiopia, and Colombia are the five. And so you're going to place your plantations out. Um, they're numbered. These correspond to basically just points that you can generate uh, later in the game. It's an area control type of thing for each of these five locations. You're trying to have the most influence as a trader uh, in those cooperatives. So you place your one, two, or three out. There is an Arabica track, is what they call it, uh, where you move up in the five different types of coffee corresponding to these five locations. Anytime you place anything into these locations above level one, you move up on that track. Honestly, you move up on that track for almost everything you do related to these locations. So you're just gonna, that's a big chunk of the game. You're trying to move up on that track, which unlocks sure. special abilities, gives you points at the end of the game, uh, allows you to access special tokens that make other things a little bit easier all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, phase two, you're placing workers out. You are making sure that all of the worker, all your plantations have workers on them. If they don't, you have to pay a penalty. So lots of penalties in this game. It is a classic Euro game. Uh, phase three is like a second action phase. So phase one, you have like three or four tokens you can use to take actions. Phase three, again, you have three or four tokens you use to take actions. So it's like two separate types of actions. So in this one, you're going to trading houses, which basically means I am in this trading house. Therefore, when this location produces coffee, I'm going to get some of it. If you don't go to that trading house, you don't get any of that coffee. In phase three, though, every action you take can be followed by other people. So you have to think strategically about what actions to take and when to wait and let someone else take the action so you can follow them. The reason why is that if you initiate an action, you pay $2. If someone else initiates the action, you do it for free, unless it's building a building, in which case you pay them a coffee. No big deal. So you have a little map here on your player board with a bunch of different buildings you can put out. These give you bonuses. They're worth points at the end of the game. They give you um, influence in that location, which can lead to area control bonuses, all that stuff. So there's a bunch of stuff you're trying to keep track of there, but essentially you're building stuff or you're investing so you can reap coffee later. 
Uh, phase <clears> four <throat> is to harvest the coffee from the locations. So you go through, you count up all the different plantations that are producing based on who's there on the buildings or the traders, you get coffee back. You have a little coffee track to keep track of it. Uh, phase five, you complete contracts. So you start the game with six contracts, which doesn't seem like a lot, but some of them require a lot of coffee. And there's also a coffee bar on the side of the board. And you're going to go through and spend your coffee in player order as many times around as it takes to place things out. The coffee bar, again, is like an area control type of thing. The player with the most in each column is getting bonus points. It's not a lot of points, though, but it's also a good way to make money. Um, your contracts are by far the best way to make money and to generate other bonuses, but there's only six of them, and they're diff- they're hard to complete. You're going to complete four or five at the most. Um, I haven't completed six yet. It seems difficult. And once you're done with that, you move on to refresh, and you start over. You only do that three times. The game has three rounds, but in each of those rounds, obviously, you're doing a lot of stuff. So a few other things in the game. There are three milestones that come out at the beginning. Uh, when you complete them, you mark them completed. There are three spaces on each, so the first three players to complete it get some points. There are bonuses you get for completing contracts. Um, there's like a little sideboard on your player board where you place these little tokens and they go up. They allow you to move up the Arabica track. They also allow you to score points at the end if you get enough of them. It's a lot of stuff, right? Like I just described a ton of stuff. It took me like seven minutes to go through all that stuff. But it all makes sense. And we had our heads wrapped around the game. We made relatively few errors the first time we played. Second time, no errors at all. Wow. And it just flows in a way that you wouldn't think makes sense for the amount of stuff in front of you. Like you set this game up. And you're like, this is going to be fiddly. We're going to forget half the rules. We're going to make mistakes. And it just doesn't happen. It all kind of flows wow. more or less from what it's supposed to do through the rest of the game. Sure. Um, there are a few little tweaks here and there, like little things that you might forget to do or, you know, like, oh, in the contract phase, if you go to the coffee bar, you have to do two of them because if you only do one, you have to pass afterwards. People kept forgetting that, right? And as you're teaching the game, you got to keep all that stuff in your head. It takes a lot of time. Um, I love this game. I had a lot of fun with it. I'm glad I backed it. It's a buy for me. Even as a $100 wow. game, I'm really happy Jeez. I picked it up. There are a couple small things that are annoying. It is big. It takes a really long time to set it up. It takes a decent amount of time to teach it because, just again, just there, it took me seven minutes to go through each of the five phases. Now multiply that times five, and that's how long it takes to teach the game. Spent a little time going through all the rules there. Um, there are a couple mechanics that it seems like people have a little trouble completely grokking onto. Like you have a bonus pool of resources that you can use two of the three bonuses that are available, which is weird. But if you use the money in your bonus, you have to replace it by the end of the round or you lose a ton of points. So that's a tough one. It like, it just doesn't make sense at first. It does if you think about it mechanically, but just in terms of the actual theme and the flow of the game. You're like, why are we doing this? But overall, everything floats smoothly. It made sense. Everybody had a good time. There wasn't like a, a weird gap where people got lost or broken or confused, um, as sometimes happens of these big, long Euro games the first time through. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I picked it up. I was a little wary because it's a lot. Like when I first set it up to learn it, I was like, ugh. <laughs> but it, it makes sense. Um, so if you don't mind spending 30, 40 minutes setting it up and teaching it and then 20, 30 minutes putting it away. It's a great game. Uh, <laughs> Coffee traders. Uh, 
I'm I'm really excited, I'm, and I can't tell you how glad I am that you like the game because, as you said, first there's the hundred dollar price tag, yeah, and then there is the the just when you look at the pictures of it, it's just massive on the table with like a seemingly an endless number of bits. Like this is one of the games where it's like we're gonna tell you how many pieces are in this game, and it's gonna impress you. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah. I don't think Impress is going to be the thing that it's going to come out of this. <laughs> Too many. It's a lot. I poured all the player bits into one bag for each player, oh, right? Yeah. And so when players were dumping them out, it just creates this giant puddle in front of them. Oof. And so we're putting them away and everybody's like, you need to separate these into different bags. Like you need like four bags inside of the one bag. And I'm like, that's crazy. Yeah, I do. This is a mess. Um, wow i don't know yeah. how it's not fiddly i don't know how it's not a mess that's because there's so many bits yeah yeah i mean i think you know sometimes when we do you know we do the podcast we do the youtube video we, we do the playthroughs and the reviews and stuff like that you're like no people will get it like this is one of those games that the price tag is high the the look of the game is like nope like there's every reason why this game shouldn't work and you shouldn't pick up this game and you're like yeah 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 pick this game up and i'm like all right, I'm going to do it now. So <laughs> like, damn it. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like this game, I don't know how many people are actually going to get it. Cause it is like, you look at it and it's intimidating. I almost didn't pay for it. And I was excited for it. None of sure. my friends picked it up. So they like, this was like one of the games with me leaving in a couple of weeks. So like, we have to play this cause Anthony has it and none of us paid for it. Yeah. Um, and so I hope people do, but at the same time, I would understand if they don't, cause it's a lot. You know, it's but you should definitely play it if you can. Like, if you know somebody who has it, play it because it is very good. Sounds good. All right, so I want to talk a bit about a game with not that level of fiddliness, but certainly that level of spice. Because what we're looking at here is Dune Imperium. This is a new game from Direwolf Games. Now, you probably know the designer is best for their Clank series, and you could get a lot of Clankness out of this ironically if you know dune as far as the movie the book series is concerned the last thing you want to do is make noise as you walk because that ends bad there's giant worms that notice that kind of thing so yeah it's kind of weird how that's a crossover i don't know if they've ever put two and two together there maybe they maybe the dune people were like who can design a game where making noises causes a giant monster to come eat you and and there you go so they obviously are well you know positioned for this game now, Dune Imperium is very similar to Clank in a couple of different interesting ways. Now, if you don't know too much about Dune, I can spend hours talking about Dune. I'm a big fan of it, the movie, the book series, the TV shows, the whole nine yards of it. Way too long to talk about in this podcast. But there's going to be a movie this year, and you should go see it, because I think it's going to be fantastic. But in a, like I guess, a one or two line thing, Dune is about all of these different spacefaring races fighting it out for the planet arrakis dune and the the spice that allows life to do these incredible wondrous amazing things so there is this kind of like game of thrones-esque battle that's going on and it plays out here in this board game now again if you haven't played clank this game is might be a little surprising to you but basically what it is is it's a deck builder you start with a basic deck, and you all know deck builders, where you start with some basic cards that let you do some things. 
And then as the game goes on, you'll be able to purchase additional cards to upgrade your deck and opportunities to thin your deck out. What's different and interesting about Dune is that the cards will allow you to activate your workers on the board. So it's not just about playing cards, but it's actually about activating on the board. So not just moving your figure like you do in Clank, but actually if you play a card and it has a yellow spot and a green spot, now you can move your worker to either the yellow areas or the green areas. So the cards determine where the worker placement is allowed to happen. On the left side of the board is all the super powerful actions that are related to the different houses and guilds. On top, you're talking about the military actions. And in the middle, towards the right, you're going to get your opportunity to gain resources that you're going to need throughout the game. And on the bottom right is where all the action takes place. So at the end of each round, and each round is basically you're going to play your cards, and at some point you're going to just like show all your cards and gain the bonuses on the bottom of the cards. Typically, that's that's money that you'll be able to purchase of the cards from. And sometimes it's actually swords that will actually give you military paddle or in the battle that's coming up. So on your turn, you play a card. You are able to activate your worker in a particular spot. You take the resource in that particular spot, pay the resources in that particular spot. And then once everyone has played out and is passed, it comes down to the battle. Now, there's a card in the game that will basically tell you um, what the win condition is as far as like what the what you get from the battle, right? So the win condition is always who has the most military power, but the conflict cards will actually tell you what you get from that. Sometimes it's victory points towards the end. Sometimes it's water. Sometimes it's resources. Now, beyond the board, that's going to give you resources and special abilities in the game and mostly troop movements and attacking and also adding cards to your deck, which is very important. You are going to have a leader of your particular house or guild, and that's going to give you a special ability. There's going to be a signet ring that if you play that particular card, you'll get to do that special action. But throughout the game, you will have a special ability. Some of them are very simple, like look at your next card, and some of them are more complex that will actually kind of manipulate the markets throughout the game. This is a pretty standard worker placement game with some deck building put in but really where the game shines and also has some of its problems is in the deck building because part of the game allows you to build your deck up that will benefit off certain cards in the game so as the game is going on and as you're building your deck up you might want to go with the freeman or the Benny jesuits and put more and more of their cards in your deck because their cards chain off their own houses or guilds. So the more Freeman cards you have, the more likely you are to snowball to a really great opportunity in your hand. The problem is the deck is very large. And because the deck is very large and because the mar- the way the deck kind of lays out into the market, you might get the cards you need. Someone actually might get them before you, but there's no way to clear and reset the market. So if you're looking for something that matches your guild, for example, it may not happen until much, much down the road or may not come up at all in the game. And now you are building towards something that never you know, came to fruition. Uh, that was incredibly frustrating because the really cool part of the game is when you put together that really awesome deck and you have that really great turn where everything cycles together 
instead of like, oh, I'm not seeing what I like, and now I have a mixture of cards that don't really kind of connect together. The other part of the game that's interesting but also problematic is the entry cards in the game. The entry cards vary greatly. Some of the entry cards, like in Lords of Waterdeep, will give you a resource. Sometimes they give you some troops. Sometimes they give you so many swords that you're practically going to win the battle. So when you go for the Intrigue deck, you really have no idea what you're getting. And someone could have a lot of military action cards, which are really what the Intrigue cards are best for. And you got plus one money to purchase a thing. I don't... That's not cool. That's not fair. Like, so many times throughout the game, you see someone with two or three cards, and you're like, that could be dangerous or incredibly dumb. And by the end of the game, I was just like, why am I building up my military that big or going for resources? Let me go to the Intrigue deck because I got, I don't know if what the what the odds are, or the ratios are in the game, but you have a good chance of, like, getting five swords. And that's, I mean, it's just incredibly... You know, it just shifts radically when you play the game. So Dune Imperium is fun. It is random fun. It is chaotic fun. The The entry cards are chaotic. What comes out in the market is chaotic. What stays in the deck is chaotic. Everything else about the game is pretty standard. The worker placement spots, pretty obvious. Where you can go, what you can do, pretty straightforward. The special abilities for your leaders, pretty straightforward. Nothing's going to drive you crazy here. You only have two agents. You can pick up a third agent in the game. One last thing about the game. The board's pretty cool. Um, here's the problem with the board. It doesn't change based on player count. So yeah. you're playing with four players, and it's tight, and it's supposed to be tight because that's what worker placement is. It's three. You have really no problem. If it's two, do whatever you want, and there's no rules to close off sections on the board. So I would say that, I, I mean, honestly, I'm not going to buy this game. I'm not going to give it a buy because it's just too random and chaotic and there's no way for the market to refresh and there's no way to kind of manage those entry cards in the game. So I'm going to say it's a play. I think it's a worthy play game, but I wouldn't recommend playing it with any less than four just because I think I think that just doesn't work well in that kind of worker placement game now there is an expansion coming out and i think that's going to add more to the game but from what i read it's not going to change any of the dynamics of the game itself so dune imperium worth a play but expect randomness expect craziness expect people to throw cards and kind of i don't know it just it was fun but it was also very frustrating yeah yeah, I had, I had a similar experience. And again, I haven't played with a full group of people because I picked this up in the middle of the pandemic because I'm crazy and I like to waste money. <laughs> um, but I had a similar experience playing it where I was like, this is cool. It's better than the original Dune game. I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But that game <laughs> oh, is no. super <laughs> random. That game is random as heck. Like, yeah. we, we got a whole group of people together to play that and it lasted like 40 minutes because someone just happened to break it and win the game in the first half an wow. hour. Woo! Lots of fun for everybody. <laughs> um, it's from the 70s. What do you want? But yeah. this game is better than that. It's a lot better than that. Sure. But yeah, there is that bit of randomness in there. And like, I feel like it might be intentional. I think they might be like, well, Dune, it's got to have some randomness. And I'm like, sure. you don't need to 
speak to the pedigree of the mechanics. You need to speak to the pedigree of the IP, which sure doesn't have to be random. So I don't know. Um, I, I'm excited to play with more people. I think it'll be fun. I'm happy I own it. I like it. But yeah, I, I agree on the play. I, I'm probably not going to get rid of it, but if I didn't own it, I probably wouldn't buy it. I mean, honestly, if they would do something just with the market deck, whether you refresh the market simply or you split up the different factions to different decks, because I, right. I mean, I lost a lot of fun in the game because I just didn't see any cards that matched the faction that I was building. You know, right. not even that they were taken by other players, but they weren't coming up. And I literally went through the deck and there was like two or three of them at one place in the deck and two or three of them. I'm like, okay, like that's, that happens. But you know, when you play Dominion, you have access to all the different decks because you should be able to build the deck that you want. You know, Dune, at least thematically, is about alliance to certain factions or even switching alliances. You should have the ability to access the alliances, and it doesn't have it in the game. And I think that brings the game down for me. Uh, there's going right. to be an upgrade pack. So if you've seen the original game out there, it's a lot of cubes and really basic pieces. There's going to be minis in the deluxe pack. Uh, I don't know if this will eventually, I'm assuming this will eventually be incorporated in a like deluxe version that you'll be able to pick up. But either you get the pack to upgrade your game or eventually you'll just get the upgraded game with the pieces. I think that's a bonus because there are definitely some iconic images and factions and players in this game. And I think you probably do want the upgrade pack. Yeah. All right. So yeah. that's everything from our at the table again please uh stick with us because we have new episodes and new things going on all right anthony let's get into our feature review so our feature review this week is talking about the dice tower uh as board gamers anonymous is a proud member for seven plus seven years or so as one of their members of their podcast family so you know we're we're, we're og that's all i'm saying man so uh i know that uh, I know that these awards are important to to us because it really is voted on by the players and the people that play these games obsessively, um, not as obsessively as as us, but nonetheless, they they definitely uh, have something to say. So, Anthony, why don't you run us through the awards and uh, let's see how they ran? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, we're gonna run through these on the order that they're on the website, but backwards because uh -huh. they have the game of the year at the top. And I'll list off the nominees and we can talk about, and, and then the winner, of course. And we'll talk about like, did the right game win? Should something else have won? Mm. What did we vote for? And so on and so forth. Uh, so first up is most <laughs> innovative game nominees. We've got The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine, Forgotten Waters, Micro Macro Crime City, The Search for Planet X, and Whistle Mountain. Mm -hmm. The winner is The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine, which is actually what I voted for in this category. A lot of these are actually very innovative, but I had not played at least two of them before we voted. Uh, I don't know that Micro Macro would have beat it out now that I've played it, but I really like the crew a lot. I think it is pretty innovative for what it does. Yeah, I voted for the crew as well. Macro Micro is great, but it's always on that line of, is, is it a game or is it a game experience? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. So next up, we've got excellent in rules teaching nominees. And uh, according to the website, there was only one nominee, and it was Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. And that's what won. <laughs> so I don't know if there's a glitch here or uh, if 
that was literally the only nominee for this. I actually don't remember this category popping up when we did nominations. So nope. maybe they added it later. I don't know. <laughs> like, so sure. Gloomhaven won a thing. I don't know. <laughs> wow. How unexpected and rare. Uh-huh. And I guess... <laughs> I mean, Isaac yep. Childress does a great job, and obviously he's he's mastered this. And obviously a game like this in a big box store like Target, it has the rules have to be good. Because no one's going to deal with rules like we deal with rules. So, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I am impressed this worked. Like, Because not only did he get Gloomhaven into Target, but apparently it sold pretty well and people are happy with it. So... Unbelievable. He must have really done some work on the rules because it's not like they were super hard but it was it was a hobby game and somehow he made it accessible so good job how did how does that pitch even go like i'd love to be there for that pitch where he brings in like the huge gloomhaven box and drops it down and goes people like this and they're like yeah we're not buying that and he's like how about this (laughs) it's a normal box it's still 60 (laughs) dollars it's a normal box it's true All right, best welcoming game nominees. I think this used to be family game, and they changed it to welcoming because reasons. Uh, But anyways, nominees, Calico with the cute little kitty on the front. Mm -hmm. Isle of Cats with all the kitties on the front. Uh, My City, no kitties on the front. Uh, (laughs) Scooby-Doo, Escape from the Haunted Mansion. There's a dog. And then Trekking the World. I don't see any animals up there. Maybe a sphinx. (laughs) Uh, winner was Isle of Cats. I don't remember what I voted for here. It was probably Isle of Cats because it's the only game I played at that point. Sure. Um, and I love it. And I think it's great for kids because it has like a super accessible like beginner mode to it where you like, ignore half the rules. Um, My City is also very good for this. Trekking the World is also very good for this. Yeah, I voted for Trekking for the World. I, I really enjoy that game. I, I think it's it's a beautifully illustrated game and it's about just running around and going to all these exotic locations. And again, it's, it's very basic. It's just a set collection game. That's really easy to follow. I know a lot of people love Calico. I haven't gotten a chance to play it, Mm. but a lot of people love that. And it's got an adorable kitten on the cover. So I'm not, I I don't, I don't, I have a soft heart. All right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Just because I love the cats makes no sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Isle of Cats is amazing. You don't even know. I spent so much money on the expansions. <laughs> no, why? You're only going to encourage them to make more. Oh, that'd be so cool. They're going to make no. more. No, stop. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to live near you now. You have to come over oh, and see gosh. the giant box on my shelf. It's going to be That's great. so embarrassing. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, best two-player game nominees. We had Cosmic Encounter and Duel. Mm-hmm. Curious Cargo, The Fox in the Forest Duet, Imperial Struggle, and Undaunted North Africa. Mm-hmm. This category always, I don't know what to do with it, because most two-player games that come out are pretty small and accessible, like Fox in the Forest, <laughs> Cosmic Encounter. And then you get the occasional two-player game like War of the Ring or Imperial Struggle that take four hours to play, and those go in the same category. And I'm like, I don't know... <laughs> Like, I, like I, maybe they'll split the vote. I don't know. Um, but the the winner for here was Undaunted North Africa. I did not vote for this because it's kind of just a sequel to Un, Undaunted Normandy. 
it's the same game, mm-hmm. but like in a different theater of war. I voted for the Fox and the Forest duet, which I think is brilliant. Like again, another cooperative trick taking game, but so, so good. And just for me personally of the games here, I've played light is better than the rest of these. Yeah. I voted for um, Fox and the Forest duet. I love that game. I, I own a copy of it, played it with you. I'm like, this is great. This is just, this is just mm-hmm. great. So, and it's just, it's just a lot, a lot of fun. So yeah, pick that up. I mean, if you want to pick up on Dante, yeah. go for it. But Fox and the Forest duet, I think you're going to love that game. It's a great two-player game. Yep. All right, best theming. We've got Dune Imperium, which you just talked about. Forgotten mm-hmm. Waters. Uh, Mariposas, uh, the sequel to Wingspan. Pan Am and Super Skill Pinball 4K. Uh, the winner of this was Forgotten Waters. This is the third game in the, uh, what did I call that thing? <laughs> Whatever the dead of winter system is. I know. Crossword system. That's <laughs> Crossword right. Crossword system. Um, yep. There you go. Uh, Gen 7 wasn't very good. Nobody really liked that. But Forgotten Waters, people loved, despite the fact it came out in May of 2020 when nobody could get together and play. But apparently everybody played it online together or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I really want to play it. I've heard a lot of good things. Yeah, I haven't played it either. And I heard good things too. So I don't know. I mean, Mariposa was the game that I voted for. I, I think they, I think um, Elizabeth Hargrave did an excellent job imparting right. the, the massive journey uh, of these butterflies. And again, that's something that's not easy to put down in a board game, but you really do feel it when you play it. So that was, that was pretty impactful for me as far as theming is concerned. Yeah. I think I might've voted for the same. Um, when we were in Philadelphia, we actually saw some of the, uh, the Monarch butterflies and I was like mm. trying to describe to my kids and I was like, I got a game at home. You guys will get it then. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. Best strategy game nominees. I own all five of these, so I am an expert here. Uh, we've got go. On Mars, Beyond the Sun, Lost Ruins of Arnak, Dune Imperium, and Praga Caput Regni. Uh, I think you've played f- all of these too, right? I have. We've, we've yeah. both played all of these. We oh have. my gosh. <laughs> it was a pandemic year lost... <laughs> i know somehow we got these all in uh the winner is lost ruins of arnak uh, that's what i voted for what did you vote for uh falling skies i i think there's a lot of great there's a lot of great games this year but i think as, as a solo game under falling skies which is oh, we're so- talking about the the strategy oh, game nominees here oh no, no i'm so sorry i skipped ahead because i was so excited about under falling skies ignore yeah. <laughs> that um best strategy game yeah lost ruins of arnak i i, I yeah okay. yeah absolutely that 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 was yeah. impressive in like 15 different ways and like as you unbox it the components as you play it it's it really was it was it was a surprisingly good game i mean cge does an excellent job already but this was a th- i didn't find any flaws in the game i was playing the game i was like no good good no, even more good. Mm-hmm. This is still good. <laughs> Played it solo. I'm like, still good. <laughs> I'm just like... Even better, did... maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how did that happen? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that was yeah. that was my vote too. 100%. Yeah. I was like close on On Mars, but On Mars is... I only played it a couple times before we got locked down. Lost Ruins, I played like 20 times because <laughs> it was online too. So um, yeah. All right. Best solo games, we already know what where you're at. You you spoiled that for us a little bit. We had nominees though, Dune Imperium, 
Dwellings of Eldervale, Lost Ruins of Arnak, also on the mm-hmm. list, Super Skill Pinball Forcade, and Under Falling Skies. Mm. So my vote here was Lost Ruins because I took forever to finally play Lost. Uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> took forever to play Under Falling Skies. Even after playing it, though, I still think I like Arnak better. Arnak's uh, a better but it, game, but I, I felt that Under Falling Skies was a very unique solo game. And yeah, 100%. It, it it just, it's built to be a solo game. I mean, that's that's yeah. that's the conceit there. I'm just impressed it worked. They took an 18-card game and they turned it into this big sprawling thing and it worked. And again, you know, depending on your, your mileage may vary, like as like an old school sci-fi fan or an old school video game fan, you know, shooting, shooting the, you know, the alien invaders as they come, they come down, you know, invader style. Uh, it was fun. It was a fun game. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, I definitely enjoyed it when I finally got it to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Best reprint. We've got mm-hmm. seven wonders, second edition mm-hmm. eclipse, second dawn for the galaxy fort, Project Elite and Rococo Deluxe Edition. The winner was Rococo Deluxe Edition. Uh, I'm going to guess that you and I voted for the same game here. Fort? Did you vote for Fort? Actually, I voted for Seven Wonders, the reprint. Oh, really? I I was surprised by that. I mean, Rococo, you know Rococo, and everyone knows I love Rococo, and I love Ian Tool's artwork. And I love the fact that they reprinted this because... I didn't have the jewelry expansion. So I paid like crazy money for this game and it was, there was a lot of problems. I mean, I just felt like the preprint itself didn't like it was, I I, want to say it was as good as maybe, but maybe it did like, I don't want to get rid of my original copy and like a reprint should do that. And when I played again, and when I didn't want to get seven wonders, and we actually did a, a big production for Repo's production uh, for one of our, our videos on Twitch. And I was like, oh, I got to pick up a copy of this so I can play through it so I can I can teach this game. And I own almost like literally everything for Seven Wonders. And I played this and I played it online. And I'm like, damn it, this is better. Like they cleaned up oh, a no. lot of things. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, now I got to buy everything again. And now when I play online, I, I never play the original Seven Wonders. And I'm telling you, I have everything. I have the insert. I have the metal coins. like, And it, it just, yeah, it did it. And, I, and, I, and again, it's just, I don't know. I'm, I've just, yeah. Let's move on. It's just. <laughs> uh, good times. Yeah. Well, these are all good games. I very good games. Not... All very good games. Yes. Yep. Uh, all right. So next up was best party game. I did not vote in this category because I had not played any of these when they came out. We had five minute mystery, Hughes and Cues, Master Word, Mysterium Park, and Telestrations Upside Drawn. Uh, the winner was Hughes and Cues. Had you played any of these, and did you vote? I I did vote. I had played three of these, um, and I went online and looked at looked at the others. The Mysterium one I actually reviewed here during during the pandemic. And I, I like, so again, and surprisingly enough, I like, I like that. Re, I mean, I consider it a reprint of Mysterium because it's basically mm. Mysterium, but you take out the murder weapon, which I think makes the game better and faster. And it, it still has the same kind of 
family but eerie kind of feel to it. So yeah, I mean, I, I it didn't win, <laughs> but I <No>. appreciate <laughs> appreciate the effort there. So yeah. All right. Next up, we got best game from a small publisher, mm-hmm. uh, Chai, Dune Imperium, mm-hmm. Honey mm-hmm. Buzz, Praga Kaput Regni, and Project L. The winner here was Dune Imperium. I I voted for Praga Kaput Regni. I, I had trouble in this category. I have trouble with it every year because frequently the best games in this category are from like well-established designers or companies that are new. Like, yeah. I think a couple years ago, the winner was uh, Thomas Lehman's new game. And I was like, well, I mean, it's the Race for the Galaxy guy. <laughs> it's a new publisher, but they just happened. To... It's his company. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Delicious Games is Vladimir Suchi's company that he started yeah. with Underwater Cities. So I'm like, I feel weird voting for this. But then Dune Imperium won anyways, which is the Clank company. And I'm like, all right, whatever. I don't know. I don't know what to think about this category. Um, I personally have not played the other three, so it's hard to say. Like, I know Honey Buzz, a lot of people locally really liked that. Project L, I really want to play. I haven't had a chance to get that in front of the table yet. But I don't know. This is a weird category for me every year. Yeah, I only played Praga, so I didn't vote in the category. <clears throat> but Praga, I liked a lot. But again, I had the same issue you had, which is like, I want to vote for a new publisher, but none of these are really are really new. Like, so I don't, right. you know, I, I, I just, it's just kind of an odd category. Like you took a chance on an established brand and an established designer. <laughs> like, okay, great. Um, yeah, yeah Dune's, Dune's fine. <laughs> um, I wouldn't have given it to Dune. And again, I don't know. Cause especially the pandemic and the shipping and all that other kind of stuff, but the production is bad. I mean, we just talked about how they're coming out with a deluxe edition. So right. if you're going to be a small publisher and blow me away with something, then do it. Like, don't, don't give me a, a half job there. It just, it was a, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad production, but it wasn't a memorable, like when I think publisher, I think they did a great production of, of a game. So um, Dune Imperium, fine. I don't find necessarily a big fault in it, but it's not something that just like, oh, wow, this is incredible. You know, nope. You know, like like right. wingspan or something like that. You know, so. right, right, yeah, hundred percent agree. All right, uh, best game from a new designer. Uh, we have Beyond the Sun, Chai, Endangered, Fossilis, uh, which I I don't know who that's from, and then <laughs> Lost Ruins of Arnak, which is what I voted for. Uh, sure. What did you vote for? Um, this was another one I only played. I think I only played Arnak here, so I didn't vote for this category because I only have played one. I had to feel feel like I had to right. play enough for that. But um, yeah, Arnak has been it's been a fantastic game. That would have been. I'm assuming that's the yeah. one I would have been voting for, but I didn't. I hadn't played it, so I didn't vote in that area enough, right. at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like Elwin and Min, the two designers they've been very active on board game geek. They released the solo module with like the whole for free. There's a digital implementation, which is amazing. I played through all of that. They have an expansion coming already. Uh, So like really impressed with their work so far. Excellent. All right. Best expansion nominees. We've got Chronicles of crime, 1400 parks, nightfall spirit Island, jagged earth, 
Unmatched Cobble and Fog, and then Wingspan Oceania. I always say that word wrong. Um, <laughs> the winner was Chronicles of Crime 1400. I'm a little surprised by that because that's a system that has a ton of expansions with a bunch of content coming out for it. Yeah. I have not personally played the expansion content, but I played a lot of the original stuff. It's very good. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very unique. It won like most innovative in the past. For me, it was Jagged Earth. Like, yeah. so much stuff in that expansion. So much. Just explode what you can do in that game. Uh, but Wingspan also would have been a good one. Yeah, I mean, I picked up some of these, but did not get these to the table, so I didn't vote in that category. All right. Uh, best cooperative game. We've got Qu- uh, The Crew, Pl- Quest for Planet Nine, Endangered, Forgotten Waters, Marvel United, Pandemic Legacies Season Zero. Uh, it was The Crew for me. Love that game. Simple enough. I've, I've already mentioned why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's The Crew for me as well. Uh, best board game production. We got Dwellings of Eldervale, Honey Buzz on Mars, Tang Garden, Tidal Blades, Heroes of the Reef. I think I actually voted for Dwellings of Eldervale. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think I actually voted for Dwellings of Eldervale here, despite the fact that I haven't played it because just it's production. Look at it on the table, right? It's it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, this was. I think this was the best year in a very long time as far as this this quality is concerned um title blades is fantastic on the table i mean some of these games are none of these games are bad the all these games could easily be winners this was the one i voted for as well yeah all right uh next up we have best artwork this is your category chris mm-hmm. <laughs> we've got ether fields forgotten waters lost ruins of arnak oceans and title blades what did you vote for Actually, I, I voted for Lost Ruins of Arnak. I, again, I, I thought that they had the biggest mountain to climb because I thought that the artwork here could have easily gone really problematic or really cheap or really dumb or really silly. And I and I think that it was, they nailed it. I just thought that like they gave, it was an uncanny valley. It, it, it was just, it was a very rich production and on the board, on the cards, even the box cover, it was a very like it, it definitely had that Indiana Jones kind of like adventure kind of theme to it. And it was it wasn't like giant monsters, you know, it wasn't like you had to do something. And and the artwork was consistent throughout. So, um, yeah, that's what it was for me. Yep. And that, that is everybody else. That's also what I voted for. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Great artwork there. And then last but not least, we have Game of the Year. So uh, more nominees here. We had Calico, The Crew, mm-hmm. Quest for Planet Nine, Dune Imperium, Dwellings of Eldervale, Forgotten Waters, The Isle of Cats, Lost <laughs> Ruins of Arnak, Viscounts of the West Kingdom, and Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. So the winner was The Crew, Quest for Planet Nine, also the winner of the Kenner Spieldest Yards last year. So mm-hmm. uh, lots of people loving this game. I love this game. I don't think I voted for it personally. I think I picked Arnak, but this was my number two, if, if you had to ask me. Um, yeah. Partially because I had not played all the games on this list, but even now having played more of them, I still think for me it's Arnak, the crew, and then the rest are like, I don't know. 
<laughs> like I played four of the rest of them and I'm just like, it's fine. Um, but those two in particular are great. Yeah. Arnak was the one that I voted for. I, I mean, the crew's the crew nails it as far as a co-op game is concerned and even innovation um, doing something different what it's standard trick taking game and doing so many different things but Arnek was exceptional and, and that's that was my vote for it um, the only one that kind of came close to it was on Mars where mm. it just had so much to it but again I, I thought that was a little um, a little more challenging to penetrate for most people um, but uh, yeah yeah I mean, On Mars was our game of the year. Yeah. And I nominated it and I voted for the nomination to make it to this list of same game year. of the year nominees and it did not make it. So, yeah. I, same here. I, just, I did it the was, same thing. That's a tough one. It shipped in January last year. I don't think enough people got a chance to play it. But also, it's a Lacerda game. It's like a 4.5 weight. It's just, it's difficult. Um, that game is brilliant, though. That definitely would have been my vote, I think, had it been on the list. I, 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 I let me say it now so we'll see it in the future. I, I guarantee, at least on some level, that the expansion, because I think the expansion Ooh, for on Mars yes. is gonna blow up big time. I think people are gonna like once they see that, they're gonna come back and they're gonna pick that game up big time. I think that we're gonna see that expansion blow up this this coming year. Or when actually yeah. when it actually finally ships. <laughs> Cuddly knows these days. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this or watching this now, the Kickstarter just went up on the 15th. So yeah. we're recording this like the day before, but we've already seen kind of the information about it and watched the videos. Yep. Looks really good. It so. does. And it's different. And I think it, it's going to get people yep. to the table because I think the Lacerda games can be a little um, either sometimes for like the general audience obtuse or distant you know, emotionally, I think, I think the aliens coming in on this is really going to pop the game a lot. Yep. All right. Well, that's the game of the year for the Dice Tower Awards 2021. Uh, we hope you enjoyed kind of running down this list. If you have not picked these games up, please do so. They're a lot of fun to get to the table and a lot of great things. Congratulations to all the winners. Well-deserved, really great year, tough year, tight year throughout. And especially the nominees really, Again, it was not an easy list to kind of kind of sort through, especially during the pandemic year. So um, that might have also played with some of the uh, the voting and what was able to get to the table this year. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris, and this is Anthony, and we'll save you a seat at the table with the Dice Tower Awards 2021. Take care, everyone. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.